My new book, Peace Over Pain, is now available. You can buy it for $20 on Amazon or you can download it for free inside my exclusive Facebook group. Simply go to peaceoverpain.com slash join the group. And between the group and the book, you will learn how to eliminate chronic conditions. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Is it possible to become deathless? Welcome to episode number 152. Today, I'm sitting down with a mentor of mine, the awakened teacher from Australia, Prem Vishrant. And we're going to dive deep into death and his experiences. So sit down and relax and take in this significant recording. Let's begin. All right, so Vishrant, here we are for the fourth time. I want to go back about, I want to say two years ago, you had a motorbike accident. And you said that you fell off the bike, you were injured, broken rib and whatnot. And you just laid there and willingly was ready to die. Is that correct? Yeah. There was no instinct to call for help or anything? You just submitted? You just surrendered right there? Yeah, I just laid down to die. Is that because your mind is surrendered anyway and it's just like, oh well? I would say that's probably what's was the cause um, when I when I was not came off the bike I was knocked unconscious uh, when I came to I tried to get up but I couldn't get up because uh, I couldn't breathe uh, I'd broken four ribs and the collarbone and uh, um, gone into shock and my left lung had collapsed and I couldn't breathe and so I just laid down to die no struggle no fear, obviously. No fear. It's just like going to sleep at night time. You shut your eyes and you go into the darkness. I just allowed myself to go into the darkness. Well, my mind, that is, just went okay. There was no resistance whatsoever. But there is another way of, there isn't, there is another way of looking at that. And that is that I am the darkness. Beingness. Beingness, yeah. Well, some people don't like to call it darkness, but they like to call it light. But that's light appears in the darkness. Darkness is everything. Darkness is all. And there are lights that appear in it, but everything's not light. Everything is darkness. And on another, t another way of putting it, everyone, everything is love. 
and some people like to think of love as light as well, but really light is just an appearance in the darkness. We're frightened of the darkness, so we don't like to see it as that, in, that, in that way. But when I, I shout... Go ahead. I had a scientist on this podcast who's in touch with all this type of stuff or knows about this stuff. And he once said, when you die, go, through, go towards the darkness. Don't go to the light. <laughs> ah. Well, I, I find that I am the darkness, that it's here now. Um, if I shut my eyes and stop looking outwards, it is just darkness. And it is just fine. It's, there's no problem with it whatsoever. If I open my eyes, I love you. <laughs> love, that, darkness. Love, darkness. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I love, when I'm out here in the world, I love everybody. Because uh, love is here. But when I shut my yeah. eyes, it's just vast nothingness. So, because you're so willing to die, no problem. That had to come before awakening, right? Yes, it did. It came before awakening because there's been many times in my life where I've nearly died. Uh, and the willingness has actually been there. I learnt to die when I was a, a kid, when I was practicing uh, as a martial artist. Uh, if you go into a ring, uh, into a contest of any kind, full contact martial arts, if you're not prepared to die, if you're running fear, uh, you've already handicapped yourself. And so I became willing as a kid to die. I became willing to be hurt. And as a kid, I was also a diver. And uh, I, w around where I live, there's a lot of sharks, uh, great whites. And so I became willing to die then too, when I got into the water, because if I wasn't, I couldn't dive because the fear would have stopped me. And so I started practicing dying when I was very young. Right. You told me that you used to visualize being torn apart by sharks. And make it okay. And make it okay. Yeah. And then fear has no power. Fear only has power when we resist what we're frightened of. If we are okay with it, fear loses its power. Right. Is this... Because a lot of times you say don't use your imagination because it's dream. But in this case, we can use imagination to overcome fear, right? Well, that's what I used to do when I was younger. I don't have any fear and haven't had any fear for the last 23 years. And so no imagination is required to surrender to anything because my mind is already surrendered. Right. So is it good practice to visualize our fears, to just get over it now? Well, you visualize it, but you've got to make it okay. You can visualize a fear and support the fear and, and go into terror if you're not careful. But if you make whatever you're frightened of okay to happen, then it loses its power, no matter what it is. 
And so that was my approach to life for a long time as a, as a teenager and as an adult. Anything I was frightened of, I made okay, which allowed me to live my life very, very fully, very totally, because I didn't let fear control me. When you, you've said that one of the last attachments that you had to get rid of before awakening was your family. Yeah. How did you, how did you do that? Was it through this technique of visualizing or how, how did you finally detach from that? Letting go of my family or my, was basically my kids. Um, wasn't a matter of fear, it was a matter of attachment to the future, to being their dad in the future, to be there for them in the future. And so what I was letting go of was an attachment to the future. Uh, and that brought sadness, but I had a choice. You let go of everything and you wake up, or you don't let go of everything and you don't wake up. And I looked at my kids, and they were pretty young at the time, uh, three and one or something around that, and it was like, would they be better off with a dad who was ego-based? Would they be better off with a dad, if he survived enlightenment, who was awake? And I thought, well, I'd be better off with a dad who was awake. The problem with enlightenment is you have no guarantee whatsoever of a later you have a now, but you don't know what's going to happen. You, you have no idea. You just, you surrender everything. You surrender your future, you surrender your past, you surrender everything. And it is in that surrender that enlightenment is possible. It, it's almost like if, if you could just sum it up in one sentence, it's you just have to be ready to die and be okay with it. Yes, I would agree, I would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. You have to be willing to die. And so in surrendering to truth or God or beingness, you're giving your life to it. You don't get a life afterwards. You give your life to God or truth or beingness, whatever you want to call it. You don't get a life afterwards. It's over. It's an unconditional surrender. So... You know, I'm a, I'm a holistic doctor and I have clients and I, I, I see a lot of people in physical suffering. And what happens is they end up with mental suffering on top of the physical suffering because their fear, although the underlining fear is probably death, but on top of that, it's, oh my gosh, is my pain or my chronic condition going to last for the rest of my life and bog me down and be a burden. We need to make that okay too, that possibility as well, right? That's correct. We need to make everything okay and then we can relax and rest. While we're not okay with the world, while we're in resistance to anything, we cannot relax. We are tense. We're in a state of tension because we're in a state of resistance. And I believe that that state of resistance is what suffering is. Pain doesn't cause suffering. Resistance to pain causes suffering. Right. And you can still 
do things to overcome the pain. It's just not sinking your claws into it and identifying with it, right? Just it's you've got to develop a relationship with pain that is one of okayness rather than one of not okayness. Like primarily, we're programmed to uh, avoid discomfort and chase pleasure. That's a primal programming. It's a survival mechanism. But we can override that if we're willing to be okay with what is. Whatever appears, if we can be okay with it, the story is over. It's only when we're not okay with what is that we continue a story, a problem. Right. Yeah. And so you you experienced this in your 30s, correct? You had uh, a hep hepatitis, right? I did. And uh, I had hepatitis B and it nearly killed me. And I had to uh, re I had to learn to rest. And it wasn't my nature to rest. I was a dooaholic. I loved to do things, whether it was uh, business or sport or whatever. I could not stay still. And I had to learn to stay still so I could start to heal a very damaged liver and so I I did I learned to stay still and you you mentioned that there was some depression there or perhaps a dark night of the soul that happened in the right in the beginning I got depressed because I realized that my life was over as I knew it um, instead of going out and partying continuously, going out boating, going out and uh, playing with everybody, I now had to sit in a bedroom and do nothing. And so what I did do was I dragged my, my um, queen-size mattress into the lounge room and I, I stayed in the lounge room for six months <laughs> because I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I was too sick. So I just stayed there and uh, meditated and watched my mind and learnt to be quiet, learnt to surrender. So it was a great learning curve for me on how to be okay with being incapacitated. And there was no guarantee that I was ever going to get well again. I was actually seeing doctors about liver transplants because that, the liver was so bad. But fortunately, the liver did start to correct itself. And over a period of time, it did it. I ended up with chronic fatigue for about 15 years mm. as a result of liver damage. Yeah, and, then, and nobody wants to live like that. Yeah. Uh, it depends. It depends a great deal on, on, on where you get your joy in life. Uh, if you think negatively, you, ha you create hell for yourself. And it's not about thinking positively either. Human beings are naturally born buoyant. We only take ourselves down when we think negatively. And so I've never been one who supported negative thinking. So even though my life as it was, was over, I wasn't negative about it. I was accepting of it. In the beginning I was, and I was depressed for I think a week. And they put me on antidepressants and I went, after a week I went, I don't like these, don't like the side effects. So that was the end of that. And I just turned to acceptance. This is how it's gonna be for me. And it's okay. It's absolutely okay. 
I'm breathing. And every breath of air is a gift. And I learned that underwater, being stuck in a cave, uh, running out of air with because I had tanks on. And I ran out of air in a, in a cave and I thought I was going to die. And I dropped my tanks and I managed to get out. But it was when I got that breath of air at the surface that I went, wow, this is what life's about, breathing. Because if you can't breathe, you've got a serious problem. You're going to die. And so I value every breath. Your life, you know, we, we, we see this relaxed guy doing satsangs and stuff, but your life before awakening is nothing short of a friggin' movie. <laughs> you got stories. You've almost died several times. There's sharks, there's snakes, there's caves, there's illnesses. I mean, you're a lifetime movie <laughs> fish here. Well, I think that if you don't serve fear, you get into a lot of adventures. The only reason people stay uh, bored with their lives is because they serve, serve fear and they don't do things. They say, oh, that's too dangerous, won't do that. Well, when something was dangerous, it was attractive to me. Uh, and I'd go for it. And as a result, I've had a lot of adventures. I've never been like that, but I... You know, I spent my teenage years and 20s in show business. So my adventures were grabbing a microphone and talking in front of 5,000 people. Oh, that's a great adventure. I like that one. That adrenaline that, I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, if you could bottle that adrenaline up, you'd you know, be a billionaire, you know. Oh, look, I, uh, yeah, you talk about adrenaline. I don't, my adrenals don't fire off. I, um. I'm cool, and uh, I'm always cool. Nothing gets the adrenals going, ever. They've been cool now for about 23 years. I use other people's dissatisfaction to get things done. <laughs> well, your mind isn't moving, and if your mind doesn't move, it doesn't create emotions, right? Uh, I haven't experienced emotions for an awful long time. But then again, I don't experience much thought. My mind is silent. And so, you know, humans think they're human. But take away your thoughts and what are you? Take away what you think and what, are, what is still left? And this, this is what it, where the seeker begins. Well, there's, there's something here. If I'm not my mind, if I'm not my thoughts, what am I? And that's where the big quest for higher consciousness and enlightenment started for me. If I'm not my thoughts, what am I? Because I started finding no mind in meditation. And I'm sitting there in no mind, and after I come out of no mind, I'm going, well, I was there, but there was no mind, there was no I, there was no, there was no thinking. So I was there, but my mind wasn't there. I can't be my mind. I've got to be something else. And that's when the quest for who am I really began. Or what am I really? We like to think we're human, but take away your thoughts. What are you? I remember, you know, I text or messaged you one day and I was like, you know, I like the Zen self-inquiry more than the, 
than the other one. I like I like who am I more than what's aware. And you're like, that's because you still think you're human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're well, not really human. Not really, no. I haven't experienced myself as human for about 23 years. I'm just a space that is everything. The pure consciousness, the pure awareness that is everything. There's no identity here. From my perspective, there's actually nobody talking. There's talking, but there's nobody talking. And that's, that makes you deathless? Yes. Because the thing, so, the thing that can die, the I, is already dead. It already died. It already surrendered unconditionally, which is death. Um, I used to think that was me until I started experiencing self as the universe and as the vast nothingness and as love. And I used to think I was an I, but then when it disappeared, it's really obvious I was never the I. That was just an onboard program computer program that thought it was a real person, but it wasn't. I was already here. I as beingness was already here. Not I as identity, but I as everything was already here. And there was a little I claiming to be somebody, but that dropped when that that's aware became aware of itself and stayed aware of itself. So the, um, my wife noticed, uh, and she said to me, this is probably a week or two weeks after awakening occurred, and she said, I've lost my husband, haven't I? And I said, yeah, he's gone. But he wasn't real. He was just a figment of my imagination made up of reference points from the past projections to the future and a few belief systems in other words, just mind. It wasn't true. It wasn't real. I was already there, but as beingness, but not identified, not recognizing self. Not That's the best way of putting it. Not recognizing self, not aware of self. Even if you do have an emotion, it doesn't last long, right? I don't tend to have emotions. Uh, I unless you call happiness and bliss an emotion or love, but that's not really emotions. Love is real. Emotions are made up. I, I have, I'm happy. <laughs> you are happy. Yeah. You are. Absolutely. Ha happy Buddha. I don't think there's another kind. <laughs> but you also can roar, can't you? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, why not? You become an ineffective human being when you can't actually uh, put your opinion out. You become an ineffective uh, in the world. And so to remain effective in the world as a father and as a, a leader of uh, people, I have to be able to tell people what to do and I have to tell them uh, from a strong space sometimes. Uh, 
otherwise I become ineffective. And what's the point? What's the point of being in the world and being ineffective? This world is for adventuring in. We're having an adventure right now, you and I, we're adventuring. This is another adventure. I'm having we're an playing. adventure with Kevin. We're playing. And if you all of it, if you can't if you can't say what you mean and mean what you say and be effective, you can't really operate here. So right. Because I, I did, I, I saw you um, kick someone out of sat saying that was being disruptive not too long ago. Yeah, we had a guy come in who was drunk and abusive and uh, I, I had to ask him to leave. And when he wouldn't leave, I left. And, uh, and the, the, the audience threw him out and I came back. Every now and again, you get someone like that. Not very often, but you do get them. And they, they're in the wrong room. They need to go. But... There's no annoyance, there's no anger, and, and if there is, how long does it last? No, there's no annoyance, no anger, it's just business. I'm here to teach the, I'm here to teach the Dharma, not entertain some drunk who's being abusive. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Well, most people, you know, would be annoyed with that, and they would have, you know, an, an adrenal... That, you no. know, they would have a little adrenaline. No, I just saw it as fun. It was another adventure. And I laughed all the way down the street and laughed all the way back because it was just fun. <laughs> it was, a, know, it was I, a drama. It's better than television. You watch television and you see these movies where things that are happening and people are chasing people, people are getting hurt. Well, that's on a screen. This was real life. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. It was an adventure. And it was dangerous because he was, he was dangerous uh, in that he could have been quite aggressive, but he wasn't. It's just an adventure. Well, you are trained in martial arts. Could any of that programming still come out or what? My best martial arts methodology is jumping backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I might be getting too old for jumping backwards, but um, I didn't train my children how to fight. Uh, I have three children. I didn't train any of them how to fight. I, I said, if you get into trouble, run. The problem with fighting or learning how to fight is you might end up hurting someone, and I didn't want them to be in that situation where they might hurt someone or get hurt because someone's better than them. So I said, the safest methodology is running. Run away. <laughs> Run away. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen Osho do that during a satsang too. When people were being disruptive, he just got up, namaste, and left. Yeah, that's right. Because in, uh, in Buddhism particularly, uh, if respect is not shown to the teaching or the teacher, the teacher has to leave or the person who's being abusive has to leave. And so in the case when it happened a few weeks back with me, uh, I asked him to leave. He wouldn't leave, so I left. Mm. Understood. Mm. Going back to death and your, your little adventures here, 
I remember you telling me that you were had an allergic reaction to some sort of essential oil, some sort of smelling aroma. Lavender. Lavender, and you had a reaction. Yeah, I had an asthma many years. attack. Asthma attack. I ended up on the floor, not being able to breathe for about uh, three quarters of an hour to an hour, something like that. I thought I was going to die because I couldn't breathe. And was when was that? Uh, about 15, 18 years ago, something like that. So this is after awakening? Yeah. But what you told me is that not too long ago, you asked somebody to put on lavender because you wanted to just see if there was still a reaction. Oh, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I've got it here uh, in the kitchen now. It's not on, but it was on here the other day. Uh, essential oil lavender. I wanted to see if my uh, body would react again, but it didn't. So, you're, if you did react, you're okay with it. You're just, okay, well, that's it. Goodbye. Pretty much. I've, I have lived an amazingly brilliant life. I... I don't have anything left to do here. <laughs> People hang on to life because they're so attached to it. I have no fear of death. I know that what dies is not what I am to start with. What I am can't be touched by death. What you are cannot be touched by death because it was never born in the first place. The body can die, the mind can die, but what we are cannot. And you know this is truth. I know this is truth. The Dharma. Uh, I just know it to my marrow because I remember being here before. Right. The Akashic Records. Yeah, something like that, past life. Yeah. People are so frightened of death because they, they don't know what's going to happen. They're, they're frightened of what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, for me personally, I have big advancements, I'll call them. And then sometimes there's a setback. You know, but I can see all the programming very, very well. And one of the things that came up for me about, about six months ago is a colleague of mine died in the health field. Mm. And, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, you know, you see all the responses when somebody dies, Facebook is the new cemetery <laughs> you know? and you see all the responses. Mm. And I saw how she was being portrayed because she's a health professional, mm. right? So if you're a health professional and you die young, people ego-based thinking, right? is automatically going to be what, how, why, but she's a health professional, right? It, it's like it's like a karate champion getting his butt kicked in a fight, right? And 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 that brought up something in me 
that I realized was my ego attached to reputation. Ooh, and it stung. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that I learned uh, when I gave up my businesses and decided to walk around Australia was that it was really nice to be a no one going nowhere and nobody going nowhere. We put so much effort into being a somebody. It takes yeah. no effort at all to be a nobody. It's nice. That's it. That's it. And, and, and I've had glimpses of that from retreating to ashrams for a week and also creating my own at home, shutting the computer off, shutting the phone off and just saying, I'm out for a week, you know, mm -hmm. and it feels so great. What about not telling people what you do? I do that a lot. Yeah. I do that a lot. I do that when I meet, like when you meet a stranger. Because like, like you, I was a, in the health profession. I was a naturopath and psychotherapist for 10 years. And uh, I made a point of not telling people what I did because I didn't want to identify with it because I knew it was just a trap. I knew it would take effort to maintain. I'd rather rock up as a nobody because nobody expects anything from a nobody. But the paradox of it, though, Vish, is that in this new era, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you, you have to promote yourself on, on, on social media. And so that image, that identity is now going out to people. And it's very easy to get trapped in that, like you said. Yeah, very easily. I agree. And, and, and this is why when I was studying Osho, it was so, it was so, uh, dare, dare I use the word inspirational because he just didn't care. He didn't, oh, you don't like my Rolls Royces. Okay. Bye. You don't, you don't, you don't like the, the Tantra stuff. Okay. Bye. You don't, you don't like the dynamic meditation. Okay. Bye. There's just no care. There's no care about reputation. No, because he was a nobody going nowhere, you know, and he, he was quite beautiful in that. He was the first nobody I ever met, actually, because yeah. when I tried to tune into him, there was nobody there. Yeah. You know, I used to like to wear beige, which I'm probably wearing again today, um, because people don't notice people who wear beige. You can wear beige and no one notices you. And sort of it's nice to play this game of being a nobody because you can truly, truly relax. As long as you're a somebody, you can't relax. It's so it's 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 true, but but if you um, if if you do surrender to it, then you can kind of go back out there and still do the same gig, but not be attached to it, not be identified to it. Because um, you're on the internet, obviously. Unfortunately, if you're ego-based, you will be identified. The only way to truly not be identified with anything is to wake up and live as beingness. The eye is pretty insidious. It can pretend not to be attached, but it is. It takes a lot of work to undo an ego. 
can I, can I create, can I do like reputation suicide or something? Like, can I go out in public and just embarrass myself or something? Like, yeah, sure. But it won't help. Then you'll identify with the one who actually failed. <laughs> like, look at me. No, I, I understand because when I went through my dark night of the soul, my ego totally identified with it. It, it took its claws and it sunk it in and then it became a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go either way. You can get a T-shirt that says Total Loser written on it and identify with that. And nowadays that might even be popular, you know. <laughs> yeah. So why are people afraid to die? They're programmed to. It's part of the survival mechanism that comes with the body. We're programmed to survive. As a matter of fact, if we look at our body and we look at our mind, it is pretty much just a survival mechanism. Everything we do, everything we think is about survival. Uh, the whole thing is geared for survival. So it's natural to be frightened to die because fear is our main defense system. It stops us from dying. It stops us from doing. And it's a terrible master. If we serve it, we don't have a life. But if we choose not to serve it, we can have a really brilliant life. We can have many adventures. Wouldn't it? Do you think that a lot of people are afraid of death also because they just don't want to give up their life? Yeah, of course. Not, yeah, not necessarily like the death part, but just the the leaving of, if you of, take away fear that doesn't really exist what are they frightened of you take away fear death's fine it's just another yeah. it's just another adventure a it's lot only, of people are i'm sorry go ahead it's only fear that stops us it's only fear that keeps us uh, imprisoned and so the, of the, I, I meet a lot of women who are extraordinarily scared of death because they don't want to leave their kids behind. Uh-huh. That's a big one, too. Yep. Fear is fear. You can swap it from this thing to the next thing, you know? If you serve fear in one area, you're probably likely to serve it elsewhere. My whole thing since I've been a kid is don't serve fear. Because if you serve fear, you're not going to have any fun. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. That's why people don't become entrepreneurs and whatnot, because they're scared to fail. Yeah, they're scared to fail. That's right. Uh, when I came out of school, I saw the world as my oyster. It was just there to be taken. It was so cool. But if I had to let fear rule, then I wouldn't have seen it that way. I would have just seen all the obstacles, all the things in the way, all the reasons why I shouldn't succeed. But I didn't. I just saw it as, wow, this is going to be fun. <laughs> when, when I went through my dark night experience, one of the 
things that happened to me was I started mourning my parents. And they're alive. But for some reason, there was something in me. There was some fear. And I had to go through that. I had to walk through that. And now it's gone. Ah. Yeah. Now my dad's in pretty poor health. And uh, yeah, my father also at the moment, he's got COVID. Mm. And he's 90, yeah. 94. So he's in, he's, they've got the antivirals into him, which seem to be working. So that's good. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I've accepted my father's death. And for all I know, he could live another five years. I don't know. But, um, I'm, you know. You and I, you and I are both terminal as, mate. We've got a use-by date written on us somewhere, so we better okay. squeeze the juice out of life before it happens. <laughs> expiration dates. Oh, we've all got expiration dates. Uh, we're all going to die, and everything that's yeah. built is going to fall down. This is just the reality of the world we live in. And uh, have fun. Yeah, I, I've sort of taken the motto of have fun and be useful. That's it. Well, yeah, be useful. I don't know about that. How about be helpful? Helpful. Okay, that's good. That's a good. That no, that's a good. That's a good edit. <laughs> because when you get you to be useful, you can get used, and it's not about yeah. becoming a utility. Being in service isn't really about being a utility. But it is about uh, taking care. It is about caring right. for people. It's, it is about being helpful. And that might yes. just be a smile or a hello that said in a friendly way, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's waiting for us when we do die? Do you know? Yeah, I do know. And usually for ego-based people, it's a period of silence and stillness in the darkness and then they come back and get born again and they do the whole thing again. Samsara, uh, birth, life and death. And so that's, people are frightened because they don't know that. But I've experienced it so many times. It's what actually happens. We die. We go into the, the we go into the darkness. Some people say it's the light. It's into the darkness, and then we get reborn again into a different family, at a different time. And we get born usually without memory. My memory of my previous life didn't begin until I was about between 10 and 12, but I started remembering. And uh, that was unusual, being in a Roman Catholic boarding school at the time, because as a Roman Catholic, we didn't have past lives. We only had the one life. But I started remembering my previous lives, and they were as clear as this life. And the memories were as clear as this life. And so that blew my socks off. Hmm. We've been here before. We've played this game before. Uh, if the ego dies before uh, the body dies, 
then you don't come back. You just go into the... Well, you don't go anywhere. You are the darkness. You are the pure awareness. You are the, the pure consciousness that is already here. And it can't be touched. But it doesn't suffer fear. It doesn't... It's nothing like a mind or an ego. It's, it's just infinite. And so you could say we go back to being God or truth or beingness. But heaven and hell is an interesting subject. Heaven and hell are here and we produce them. We produce hell by resisting life and suffering. And heaven is already here if we're surrendered and awake. In, because heaven is love. And in being awake, there is just nothing but love. And so heaven is love. Hell is what we produce here when we resist life. When we say no. When we think it should be different than how it is. That's hell. And we produce hell. And so heaven's preferable. Learn to die before the body does and go to heaven. Wake up. Become enlightened. So... Because you're in heaven, you won't be reborn. Probably not. I don't know because I'm not, the body's not dead yet. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, 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 it's had a few shots at dying though. <laughs> yeah. Every night when you go to sleep, when you shut your eyes and you go to sleep, you die. You die as an I. Five times throughout the night, there's no you there because there's no dreaming. So where do you go? Yeah, you're surrendering to unconsciousness. Like you're just turn, or turned off. Yeah. Well, death is like that. You go into, it's like going to sleep. You just go into the nothingness. And it's okay. It's absolutely okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm all right with it too, I think. When are you going to get yourself over here to Australia and say good day to me in person? Now, I was ready to, but then COVID hit. Ah, yeah. yeah COVID knocked everyone around. I think I think we would have lots of fun. No, I want to go to the grocery stores and run around the aisles. Would you? I take you for a ride on the back of the trike at high speed. <laughs> oh, you don't have good luck with bikes, man. Uh, so what? <laughs> That's that was before. There's now's a new time. Didn't you just fall off a scooter too recently? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, so a pedestrian stepped in front of my scooter, an electric scooter, and uh, I ran over their foot. Didn't hurt their foot, but I hit the curb at about 60 kilometers an hour. Uh, what are we going to do about you? You're, you're... Somebody needs to watch you closely, man. Oh, look, I get watched all the time. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> you try controlling someone who's free. Not well, po not possible. Osho was known to be a very reckless driver. 
Mm. He used to get into car accidents in those. Ro- he'd go out for his little Rolls Royce drive, and he'd just smash into things. <laughs> well, that's not very skillful of him. That's what I've read in in books from Sanyasins, you know, talking about it. But Osho never invited me to have a ride with him in his Rolls Royce, and because of that, I bought my own. <laughs> And then gave it up to walk around as a bum. Yeah, I did. I gave it up. Ah, look, easy come, easy go. I don't think I've ever really been that attached to things. Uh, You know, people get attached to money. I never ever chased money. I chased success. And money is a byproduct of success. Yeah. But, you know, I've never really been that attached to anything, really. Yeah. Because it's prison. You get attached to anything and it's a prison. It hurts you because you get fearful of losing it. My biggest attachment is, is, is reputation. But you've got a terrible reputation. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, at least I know it, I guess. That's... <laughs> Oh, you're, okay. You are fun to play with. <laughs> so, how can we prepare to die? Practice. You can't get it intellectually simply by recognizing that it might be a good idea. You can't get it by understanding. You get it through practice. The reason I got good at letting go of life was because I practiced letting go of life. On the outward breath, I allowed myself to die and there was no interest in coming back. Not that I was suicidal. I just knew that in practicing dying, I could be free. If we don't practice it, we won't get good at it. Just understanding doesn't work. You have to practice on the outward breath. You let yourself go. You just let yourself go. Because on the outward breath, we are kind of dying. And so I practiced that an awful lot. So death comes, it's a big topic on my podcast. Ah. And, and I have this episode where I brought on a hospice nurse. Mm-hmm. And I went real deep with her on stories of all the deaths that she's experienced in her years. Mm. And it's a very powerful episode. I recommend anyone that wants to get close to death. This is as close as you're going to get from an audio perspective anyway. And there's stories, Vish, of people being so frightened that they're, they hug, they try to grab the nurses yeah and hug them because it, 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 it my guess is it's you know looking for like a motherly uh you know like an inner child needing to be save hugged. me save me i'm in trouble yeah and then there's this amazing story of this woman who knew i don't know if she was buddhist or or, or practiced mindfulness or what but she knew how to breathe Uh, And she came in there 
no medications. She was in pain. And she had a breathing technique and she breathed right in the death. And I mm -hmm. said, no, that's, that's it right there. That's if that's not motivation to figure this out, I don't know what is. Yeah. The fear of death stops people from living. How can you have fun when you're so frightened to, to die? But if you yeah. practice breathing out and dying on the out breath, you can get free because you're no longer holding against it. You're no longer defending against it. You're being okay with it. And with practice, we get used to it. We get used to the idea. And so when I had that motorcycle accident just under two years ago, um, I was revived at the scene by a nurse who, I who ran into me in a, in a club about oh, six months ago, or maybe eight months ago, and said, I revived you. And I knew the ambulance, the hospital had told me that I'd actually died, or had to be revived five times. But that was the first time at the scene of the accident. But I wasn't needing to be revived. I was really happy to go. <laughs> when you say die on the out-breath, do you mean start over? Like die to every moment? Yeah, every, having no future. No future whatsoever. You die on the out-breath, so there's nothing after the breath. It's like, you, like you're in hospital and it's your last breath and you're just breathing out. And it's like, ah. And it's so nice because there's no future and there's no problems. There's a great deal of peace in not having anything to take care of. <laughs> But I first started doing that down at, when I was a teenager, I used to go down to the cemetery and lay down next to the graves and pretend I was dead to myself. And there was such a peace in it, no problems, nothing to take care of. Everything was so cool. I go to cemeteries as well. Go for a, go for a walk in the cemetery. Yeah, I don't think I do that any longer, I, but I did do it as a kid because I was interested in death. I was interested in um, the phenomenon of death. What does it really mean? What's it all about? Game over. Well, is it? <laughs> well, game over for that level, that chapter. Uh, yeah, but isn't that every moment game over? It, it, you know, we can't ever drag back another moment. We, every moment is finished. Every moment that is here now is new. Every moment. The idea of a before and a later is just a dream. They're not true. You take away your imagination before doesn't exist, neither does later. There's only now. And now's okay. This has been a, a fun talk, our fourth fourth one. We should maybe we should do this more often. Uh, I love chatting with you. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that some of your sannyasas now call you Bhagwan. I've noticed that like also. That. So you didn't request that, it just came naturally? Heck no.
Uh, it's the Indian sannyasins because in India, someone who teaches the dark, holds satsang, who's awake, is considered to be God. And so the word Bhagwan means God. And so they call me by that title, Bhagwan. Mm. I don't care. <laughs> they could call me anything they like. They're basically just showing that they love, because it's yeah. the the uh, the connection between a a spiritual master and a disciple is a love affair, and it's the most pure love affair there is. It's so beautiful. It's just love, and so they love me, and they call me Bhagwan, and I love them, but yeah. I know there's no difference between them and myself. We are one. Right. Well, you know, Luke was devastated when Obi Wan died. <laughs> yeah, he was devastated, and Obi Wan was pretty cool. Obi Wan Kenobi was amazing. Uh, All right, Vishran, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's always, it's always lovely to talk to you. You're a lovely man. Thank you. You're lovely as well. <laughs> oh, you do an air hug. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, Feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.